Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, the trading card industry just got a lot more dangerous. Could a new streaming power be in the making? And what is the best Star Wars fan project ever? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, our awesome array of radio stations that play our shows around the world, and we cannot thank you enough for doing so. Or if you can, go ahead and support us at popculturecosmos.com. It is truly appreciated. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own legendary edition for Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today on his shows. Is it now defunct? So we're getting ready to, to do one last round of topics on Top Gawclips, and then it will be defunct. It'll be gone, and it'll be archived, and uh, you know they'll surface again eventually, but it depends on if I decide I want to do something new or not. You can catch him today on his almost defunct show, Topicocalypse, and of course his other show, The Super BS Gamescast, plus his great book, which you can get today at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, entitled Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. The Josh Effect Legendary Edition is here in the house. What's up, man? What is up? I bought it and I was really excited to play it, but haven't had a chance yet. I know you got your copy there. Yes, mine is all loaded up and ready to go, but I have some impressions of what other people and how they're reacting to it, which are very interesting to me. And I want to share that later on. But yes, I know you're still getting through Resident Evil Village and you wanted to go ahead and share some thoughts. So before we get into Disney Plus, the merger talks of a great streaming giant, possibly Star Wars fan stuff, and so much more. I know there's something you want to go ahead and talk about in regards to a deep dive on Resident Evil Village. So before we get to all those great topics coming up later in the program, you've got the floor, my friend. I also spent a great bit of time looking at what is going on with Resident Evil Village. Again, we had a lot of comments on it last week, but I want to hear your thoughts on Resident Evil Village even more. 
So I am, uh, I'm getting close to the end. You know, I got out of all the stuff that was showcased at all the game events, you know, the stuff of Lady Demiscro and the castle and all that good stuff. She's so become you, an internet fascination, just to let oh you know. Oh my gosh, yeah, I've been seeing the mods of people, like, there's action figures of her, too. Like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, she's interesting. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, she's creepy, but she's just, like fascinating you know like but she doesn't spend as much time in the game she's not in the game as much as people think no and and it's not necessarily a bad thing but you know they kind of like advertised her as being the main villain yes so after you have your confrontation with her you know she has these these three daughters and they can you know they turn into flies and then return into people but she's a vampire after you have your first run in with her and you you kill her first daughter in the game she has claw she's like freddy krueger she has these claws and she just kind of like roams around the house, kind of like Mr. X did in the Resident Evil 2 remake. And I think Nemesis did that in Resident Evil 3 remake. That seems to be like a running theme with Resident Evil games now is that you have somebody who just like kind of follows you around through the whole game. Luckily with her, she only follows you around until you have to have that like final confrontation with her. But that being said, like I, I just I had some more thoughts I wanted to share, kind of go into it a little deeper than I did last time. Resident Evil, what, what they do with the trailers, they did a great job. The trailers and gameplay did a great job of, like, not letting you really, like, see what the game is about. You know, they, they kind of show you, like, where you are, what you're going to be doing, what are some of the foes you're going to be encountering. But they don't really give much away about the story. And I think that that is a big positive for me because, you know, I like to be surprised when I go into things. You know, when you talk about Marvel films that I haven't seen yet, I always put you on mute so I don't have to, like... <laughs> So, yeah. are you sure you don't do that all the time, anyways? <laughs> so that being said, when it comes, I to think positive, you do. I think you do. Uh, I mean, some. What did you say, cool. Gerald? Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I, I I try to multitask sometimes, and it doesn't always work out. All right. So positives, you don't. Well, have the bad to thing play. is, my wife says that too a lot. Uh, I, does that I, mean something? Yeah, I know, and I say that to my wife too, and she just, you know, kind of. I have selective hearing sometimes. You know. Huh? yeah okay so everyone talks about resident evil 7 a lot that seems to be like the fan favorite resident evil 6 if i remember correctly was like one of the worst reviewed games of all times didn't really play a lot of resident evil 6 i played the demo wasn't really a big fan resident evil 7 took some coercing by some friends to get me into that game and it was terrifying it was scary it was very anxiety driven and, you know, I did enjoy my time with it, but it was interesting because it felt like it existed outside the Resident Evil universe. Until... Do you think that stunted, though, the sales because it was so concentrated on the horror aspect of the genre? So I've heard mixed things. Like, I've heard people saying that, yeah, it doesn't really feel like a Resident Evil game. And then other people are like, this is the excuse I've been waiting for to go back into the Resident Evil universe. So everyone has a side on that game. For me, like, it was nice, you know, because, like, you play enough Resident Evil games it gets to the point where it gets old, right? Like the whole thing with the zombies and the Umbrella Corporation. And like they just had all these characters that they didn't and the, this open story thread that they didn't really know what to do with. And for that reason, I was kind of getting burnt out. Then I got back into Resident Evil 7 and it felt fresh. And then they kind of like brought, they brought Chris Redfield in and he, they kind of tied everything back into the original franchise, which was a pretty you know interesting concept. And then you open up with Resident Evil 8 and it takes place in the aftermath of seven, right? Like you have your family, you rescued your family. You know, they're dealing with the trauma of what happened in the last game, but they're living in uh, in Europe now. 
And so you have this scene where like the wife doesn't want to talk about what happened. Ethan keeps trying to get her to like talk about things and get over it. And you know, you have the baby Rose. Ethan cry. Winters, by the way, to Ethan everyone. Winters, out there. yeah. And the baby, you know, they have a they have a kid now. And the kid, you you walk around the house and you find like clues about like what's going on with the kid is since the kid was born of this mom who had been the test subject of this cult, you know, does the baby have anything wrong with her? And then all the papers you find out, you find leads you to believe not. And then, you know, the big event happens that sends the game spiraling, not spiraling, but like, you know, projecting forward into full motion. Just to let you guys know, you don't have to play Resident Evil 7 to enjoy it. Like it's one of those things where in the beginning of the game, you can see they, they put together like last time on Resident Evil and you can kind of watch a recap of the last game. I feel like the game is is practically flawless in the way that they set up the story. It creates a lot of intrigue and it creates it drops a lot of breadcrumbs that you want to you want to unpack more of it. Like you want to know, okay, well if the baby's fine, why does Chris Redfield and his new umbrella corporation that he's created, why do they want to run their own tests on the baby? Why does the wife not want to recall what happened? why is Chris Redfield here doing the things that he does? You know, like it creates a lot of intrigue. You know, it goes from like zero to a hundred miles per hour within the blink of an eye. And I think that that is absolutely fantastic because it doesn't make you do a lot of unnecessary things in the beginning. Like most games do where you're trying to like figure out how do you play? How do you turn left? How do you turn right? How do you pick items up? Like you don't have to do that. It just gives you a brief little pop up on the screen. Then it goes away. The Transylvanian myth in Resident Evil, like it might not feel like Resident Evil to some people, but it's nice to have a variety of enemy types. You know, you go back to the earlier Resident Evil games, like you have zombies and different like types of zombies, but they all kind of did the same thing. So with this one, you have you have your lichens, you have your vampires, your werewolves, and they all do different things. They all attack in different ways. And it's... that is one of the highlights of this game. Just wanted to let you know, because seven mm -hmm. was criticized, or at least one of the main criticisms of it was the lack of variant types and village is that. And then some, and I know we mentioned that last week, but I know that the variety makes for me, at least a more enjoyable game. Right. And it is enjoyable because, you know, you have to do Kind of like in Doom where you have to like use different weapons to take on different enemy types. Like in Resident Evil, you can use the same gun over and over again, but it helps to cycle through what you already have. Like a shotgun is going to annihilate a lichen, right? Especially the armor types. You have a sniper rifle and that does wonders against the flying vampire crow things. And then in the dungeons, you just have your shotgun and it's such close quarters combat that the shotgun just will immediately take out any enemies that are standing in your way. But, you know, if you get bit, it just, you know, they do take some damage from you. With that being said, like, I guess I want to ask you the question now that they're incorporating monsters. And I just got to a part where they're kind of like incorporating Umbrella Corporation, right? Like it's they're tying it into the other Resident Evil games. But, you know, with this introduction of these monsters, do you think that this opens a door for a Devil May Cry Resident Evil crossover? I'm sure that's something that's on their minds at some point. I think, you know, when you're keeping going DMC one, DMC two, DMC three, you keep on going with DMCs and then you keep on doing the same thing with Resident Evil's Resident Evil one, two, three. And now we're up to eight on Resident Evil mm -hmm. and DMC's what were five. I think it's inevitable that you'll be at least combining those different assets from each. It would be great to see them interjected into somewhere else like a DMC. 
and some of the members of the Devil May Cry universe cross over to the Resident Evil and create a game from there. I think that would probably be better, would be a way to freshen up because I think there's some parts of the Resident Evil whole genre that may be a little bit played out by this time because you've seen it not only in eight different Resident Evils, you've seen them in how many countless movies. You're also going to see them upcoming in whatever Netflix is going to be doing with the Resident Evil IP coming up very soon. So I'm just concerned that there's going to be too much repeat, repeat, repeat. So that's why I think I like Resident Evil Village is that even though it does have those, like you said, familiar influences with the Umbrella Corporation and the Redfields, it has enough new in this different setting to make it stand out. Yeah. So Ethan is definitely like the best protagonist this franchise has featured so far. Like I love Leon. Chris Redfield has been taken or leave it for me, but like the, the Chris Redfield is kind of a stale character and that's why I, you know, I've never been a huge fan of him. I like Leon Kennedy is, is cool. I thought Jill Valentine was an interesting character, you know, going back to that though, with like Ethan, like, you know, he has something on the line. Like we saw his humble beginnings and we saw what he was fighting for. Like they did a great job of humanizing him in a very like dehumanizing world. And so that's why, like, I like, uh, you know, I, I think he's such a great protagonist and he's one of those people, like, he just does what needs to be done. You know, he, he, all this stuff that's happening in the game is like sick. And you have these times where he's like, why are people doing this stuff? So he has this conversation with, with the Duke, who I think is a great character because, you know, much like in God of War, they take the shopkeeper or the merchant and they incorporate him into the story. And I think that moves around quite a bit for someone of his size. Right, right, yeah, and he's just sitting in a, I don't know, reminds me of like in Pete's Dragon, the like apothecary cart where the guy was selling him stuff, but he has an interesting conversation with him, and the Duke's like, well, this is this, and you you know, I'm not going to spoil things, but he goes, this is what's happening here, and this is what you got to do, and Ethan's like, why in the world would someone do something so weird and messed up? All right, fine, I'll go take care of this. Like, he doesn't, he does what needs to be done, and he doesn't, like, whine about it. He's not, like, broody like, you know, all the other Resident Evil protagonists are. He just kind of takes up the mantle and and takes care of business. You know, he gets his hands cut off a lot in the process, but, you know, that's one thing that Capcom's never really shied away from is being aware of what they are and, and you know, playing to their their own advantage. So, I mean, I definitely think, you know, Ethan, I'd be curious to, to know, like, if you got a chance to play the game, like what you thought of Ethan as a protagonist. But Well, I've watched a few hours now of it, and Ethan's been a very interesting character to go behind, a, mm-hmm. a very sympathetic character to lean on. Like, like I said, when it comes to Chris Redfield, it comes on the screen, take it or leave it. Leon Kennedy, Jill Valentine, when you... Talk about the familiar characters that we've seen over and over and over in Resident Evil, the whole series. Now you have Resident Evil Village coming out, which is the eighth iteration, plus all the movies and all that. It gets a little bit tiresome. So I'm thankful that at Capcom, they went in a different direction. Yes, they still have some familiar elements. And of course, Chris Redfield is there. But going and traveling through this game through the eyes of Ethan makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah, and like it's it's always nice too. I mean, they they've tried to do this in other shooters, whether it's Halo or Gears of War has taken it into a different direction. Right, right. Yeah, but they're yeah, third person. But yeah, no, like they do a good job with Ethan. Like he has thoughts, inner he has an inner monologue. And so like he tries to, as he's doing all these things, he tries to make sense of why he's doing it. And like I have appreciated that because I have often had the same thoughts as Ethan while I'm playing the game. And all of a sudden he says, I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, it's not, it's not just me being crazy here. 
Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse. My last movie that I saw in the theaters was The Last Skywalker. I know, condolences to me. Wow, man. Right. I, I just had talked about that and I completely forgot that I saw that movie. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> that it doesn't speak great things about it, I suppose. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so going on to like exploration, I'm only going to stay on in this for another few minutes, but like uh, going on to exploration, like it's not the game is is interesting, not interesting, but it's like it's not an open world game, but it feels very open, but it also doesn't feel like there's too much of it. Does that make sense? You know how I said with like Assassin's Creed, this big open world and it just takes there's too much in it. This game feels like it has just enough. And you've played it with the new DLC as far as the, the Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Oh, Wrath no. Of the I, Druids? I, yeah, I have not played the Wrath of the Druids Okay, yet. and you've done over 100 plus hours on it. So that's mm-hmm. just giving everybody an idea once again of how much you've invested into it. Yeah. But with Resident Evil Village, it's one of those nice creations where it's a linear game and it's not a linear game. And I kind of like that idea. Yeah, yeah, and it, what's nice about this, like, and I know pe- anyone out there who has played Resident Evil games before, like, you find keys, right, or you find like items that go certain places, or you you you're like, oh, hey, I need to find the, a crank here so that I can open this up. Like, there's still a lot of that, but it's easy to get back to the places where those items belong. Like in Resident Evil Seven, I guess one thing I really disliked about that game was that it took forever to go back to certain places because you had to go through and you know fight enemy types or or keep running into the guy that's following you through the whole game and this one you're like oh hey i there's this wheel but oh yeah that's right there's a well right around the corner here so i'm going to go back to that well i might have to shoot a couple werewolves on my way there but it's really not not a hassle to go back to it and that's something i appreciate because again like i you know i sank 113 hours into assassin's creed valhalla it's nice to be able to play a game where I don't have to like spend an extra hour to go back and do a side quest. Yeah. And I can tell you're enjoying it because I know you want to, when you go ahead and message me that you want to go into detail about your thoughts on resident evil village, I, I know that you're getting a lot out of it and it's not because of any angst or anything like that. I, I can tell when you're really enjoying a game. So I'm glad you've had a great time with it so far. Yeah. Yeah. And then before I, I, hit my like two or three negative things i just want to say like the boss fights in this one they did a great job of like keeping it keeping it interesting like most of the time in games like you have these boss fights and you're just like running around the same area doing the same things over and over again in this one like you know i fought lady demisgro and she goes through her different like transformations and then she kind of like there's you end up you have to run around a building shooting her and then all of a sudden the her like dragon form runs into the tower and you're trying to like you have to start going up the stairs like it the boss fight was constantly moving and that's something that like outside of like a god of war game is i've never like experienced before and so i think that that was really cool because it made me interested you know i wasn't just trying to like shoot shoot hide shoot shoot hide shoot shoot hide like it was something like oh i gotta shoot it oh i gotta hide oh i gotta go up these stairs i gotta run backwards i gotta make sure i'm hitting her with my shotgun and not hitting the wings like there's it was 
a very tactical boss fight. And, you know, I appreciated that because Resident Evil doesn't really do things like that. I know there's some issues that you have, some slight concerns, but I know your game so far has been mostly an enjoyable experience. But some caveats uh, that you might want to warn players about before they head into Resident Evil Village. Okay, so like all Resident Evil games, there's ammo scarcity. They do have a great crafting system where you pick up items and it lets you like make ammo and the health packs. You can't pick up items and craft things. The shop has ammo, but you only get to do it like once per level or per zone, you know, once per encounter with the Duke. So that's kind of a pain. So that being said, like it's not one of those you they are a little more sparing on ammo than they usually are, but it's not to the point where you can like just going guns blazing into everything you know like i said the open world is nice but you do have to do a lot of backtracking if you find like the wheel crank and all that and you want to go back and get things out of the well there are different lichen enemy types you really got to strategize how you you kill some of these enemy types because you could end up like chucking a grenade and having it bounce back and hitting you so you really got to like be aware so if you're playing on like it with your hdr settings on you should be all right. But if you're someone who plays like dark games during the daytime, you might have a little trouble like recognizing what enemy type is what and how to kill it. My other thing is, you know, this thing's kind of combined is you can't jump. And because of the, the lack of jumping, it makes it really easy to get stuck in hallways. So we have Lady Demoscuro following you around, you know, with her long claws and she traps you in a hallway like you can't that's it like you have to keep on like going up on the side of her and trying to like edge yourself through and she can easily just kill you in that time so if you get stuck in a hallway and there's like no doorway the lack of jumping makes it really hard to get by her so that was you know i i haven't gotten killed by her but i came very very close to because i was stuck on a balcony and she was just sitting there swinging at me so i didn't really it was it was a little difficult and and irksome. So if they just had a jump function on there, that would be a lot easier. But other than that, really digging the game so far. Almost finished with it. So, you know, when I get to the end, I'll kind of give my final thoughts. All right, but you are enjoying it so far for the most part. It sounds it's yes. very intriguing. Again, I've seen quite a bit of it myself, and I'm very impressed. And I said to you before that the facial animations are better than virtually any other game I've ever seen. Yeah, they do a great job, especially the, the stuff movements like- as a whole, the movements, mm-hmm. you know, from running, walking, the whole body movements and human uh, interactions are are just extremely well done. Yeah. And like Lady Demoscuro and her daughters and the Duke. The, yeah, the, there's a nice coat of paint on this game. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a great time for Josh so far. But if you have any thoughts on Resident Evil Village, we'd love to hear them as well. Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. But before we hit the half hour break, I wanted to go ahead and mention that Mass Effect Legendary Edition, as you can see with Josh, and you can see with me, we already have our copies of Mass Effect Legendary Edition on hand, and we're going to be hopefully showcasing them very soon, at least I will try to on our Twitch channel, but I know Josh is hopefully going to be able to showcase that as well at some point in time. But I wanted to note to you that with Mass Effect Legendary Edition, It seems like it's 2007 all over again because people are becoming fascinated with Mass Effect. You and I had hoped for this to be revitalized, this whole IP, this whole series. You you and I hoped for a return to the galaxy of Mass Effect in a better fashion. It looks like BioWare and EA have struck 
gold was something you and I knew would strike gold if they just went ahead and did it. They went ahead and did it. Finally, it's now out in the wild. A lot of people are getting it. A lot of people are reacting to it. And for people who have not played it right now, it just seems to me because the game is so long, people are, are talking about Mass Effect. They haven't gone into Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3. They're playing it for the most part the right way through Mass Effect. And with all the upgrades that it's gotten and received, because Mass Effect has been the one that they worked on the most at Bioware, it looks like it's been a job well done so far. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard any negative things. I haven't actually read any reviews about the game at all. So, I mean, I'm sure you'll speak to that in just a minute. But from what I have heard from people who've actually played it, like, it is a nice excuse to go back to the Mass Effect universe, you know, especially like in this time where games have been a bit dry, meaning like not a lot of games have come out. Like, it's nice to have this excuse to just kind of sit on your couch and be transported to someplace completely new. And while it's not a remake, as there seems to be some confusion around that, it is a decent remaster. And I think it runs at what, it doesn't do 60 frames. I think it does like 30 frames per second. It uh, does even higher on the right format. I mean, it, it depends on the specific individual system that you have. I mean, there's actually uh, places where you go with the different readouts, or you can go check EA and Bioware site. And they, it should have the actual specs for each and every individual system that you have, because it varies across the board from, not too bad, 30 frames a second to, I think, upwards of 120 to 240, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, jeez. Depending on what you have. I mean, if you got a powerhouse right. PC, it's going to treat it like like butter, very smooth. Right. Whereas if you, if you have like a, just a standard Xbox One or PS4, it may be not quite as fast, but 30 frames per second should get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I, again, like I've seen it running and it, it does look good. I haven't had the chance to play it myself. For the most part, everybody seems to be enjoying it. Even people, oh, yeah. and there's a lot of people now, a lot of people online, a lot of streamers out there that have not gotten into it. They've heard about it from their older brother. They heard about it from their mom. They heard about it from their dad. They heard about it from their older siblings, their sisters, their brothers, cousins, friends, whatnot. And they're finally getting into it for the first time and they're enjoying it. I was afraid that Mass Effect, even in an upgraded fashion, would be aged to the point where for a lot of people just getting into it would be unplayable. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that it doesn't seem to be, for the most part, to be the case. That a lot of people that are just getting into it for the first time are really enjoying it. Well, good. I mean, I hope that this kind of revitalizes interest in the series. I mean, I know it comes with all the DLC and it's got a fresh coat of paint. And I think it, there's one DLC, Pinnacle Station, that they couldn't get they, uh, from Bioware because it was corrupted. So. The, yeah, the, the code was no good. And then the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer is not available. Okay. I mean, that was, I kind of expected that to happen. But what are your thoughts? I mean, what are people, what are the reviewers saying about it? Is it doing getting high scores or what's the what's going uh, on for the most part it's getting really high scores i think there's uh, you know some caveats mainly with mass effect one because they still wanted even some more tweaks to it but there's only so much you can do i think in the limited amount of time that they went ahead and worked on this i think i don't think that they had all the time in the world like two three plus years to work on this i think bioware had a limited amount of time to go ahead and say you know what now's the time to go ahead and do it we're going to go ahead and work on it. We're mainly going to go ahead and touch up Mass Effect 1 and focus our attention there. And I think it shows to bring the level of it up to almost the par where Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 are at. 
I think people are, they have yet to go into Mass Effect 2 and 3 for the most part because this Mass Effect 1 is such a long game. But I think that people, for the most part, are enjoying their experiences. And the reviews, for the most part, have been very strong and been very supportive of it. And again, to me, what the issue was and concern was Mass Effect 1. And if people would say, oh, it's too old or too aged, but it looks like it's been freshened up enough for people's satisfaction to go ahead and delve into it. I mean, that's good to know because I am I'm really excited to play. You know, it's funny, like I had I was complaining about not having any games to play. And then all of a sudden I've got too many to play. Like I, I still have near replicant. Yes. Uh, and I want to play it, but I keep having these things. So I'm figure, you know, I'm going to finish Resident Evil. Then I'll probably play Mass Effect one, play near replicant, then play Mass Effect two, and then play whatever comes out next. And then Mass Effect three. So I'll probably take my time and savor this Mass Effect trilogy as the year goes on. Hopefully by the time I'm done with it, the holiday gaming season will have started. But we'll see, man. I'm just excited to be able to uh, dive back into that universe because I have personally played the Mass Effect games probably three or four times each, and I have enjoyed every playthrough I have had with it. Well, you and I have spoken about our love for Mass Effect. I mean, you can only see it from right behind me where I've got all the Mass Effect displays that I kept from the store that I used to run in 2007. And you can see all the displays up behind me that, that still show my affection for the series. And I'm so glad that it came out. I'm so glad that it's getting the warm reception that it is. I'm so glad that it is getting the justification it deserves. And most importantly, I'm so glad that this reignites the flame and interest in the Mass Effect IP and that, will guide Bioware and also EA forward to make the right decisions on the new Mass Effect that's coming sometime in the future. So what are the chances that next Monday show we could get maybe some hands-on impression by you? Oh, you'll have it. In fact, I'm going to be doing some streaming this week on our Twitch channel. Hopefully I can translate that also as well to our Facebook and YouTube channels as well. But yes, the Twitch channel at Pop Culture Cosmos will have some action this week. So look forward to that. And you can have some hands-on impressions from myself and maybe you as well. Hey, hopefully we'll see what happens. I'm hoping to get through Resident Evil this week. So anything's possible. What are your thoughts out there on Mass Effect Legendary Edition? Now that all three of these, this awesome trilogy are together in one bundle, upgrazed, upgraded, revitalized for a new generation of consoles. Please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, the dangers of trading cards. Also, some streaming information that has come over the wire that are very interesting that needs to be talked about. And what's the best Star Wars fan project ever? We're going to talk about that coming up after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you want to see the coolest action figure collections out there, the stuff that you played with as a kid, hear from industry insiders that made the toys that really truly defined who we are, and you gotta check out season one of Action Figure Adventure. Check out Action Figure Adventure now, exclusively at Big Bad Toy Store, and you'll get 10 episodes of awesome action figure fun. I guarantee if you grew up playing toys, you will love Action Figure Adventure. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford along with my good friend, Mr. Josh Effect, Legendary Edition, or Josh Peterson, whichever one you want. That's okay. All right, my friend, I wanted to go ahead and get into it now in regards to 
what Target has done in recent times. As of now, it's still in place, but there is the fact that they just suspended in recent days sales for trading cards, various trading cards from sports trading cards, but most importantly, the Pokemon and also I think Magic the Gathering is included in that as well because of some very violent confrontations that have happened about the hoarding of the the whole marketplace, about how the value of trading cards, especially Pokemon and some of these trading cards as well, have risen so sharply in since the pandemic is concerned. And before I hear your thoughts on it, I want to go ahead and play a little clip here, if you're listening on radio and also our podcast, of an interview I did with Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show podcast. It's a great podcast you need to listen to. He already kind of foresaw this a couple months ago when we talked about it. So I want to play that clip right now. But see, the problem is now you can't even find those cards in stores. The demand is so high that people will sit and wait in line for the stores to open, for those cards to be on the shelves, and then they clean them all out as soon as they're stocked. So when you go there, it seems like they never carry cards anymore. It's not that the stores don't carry them. People are going and buying all the cards they can off the shelf, and then they'll take them and sell them online for two, three, four times what they paid retail. It's become a whole industry. So it's really hard to find stuff in the stores now. If you find it, you're lucky if you can pay retail for it. So, Josh, you heard the thoughts of Vince Atulo. I want to hear your thoughts on this because it's it's kind of concerning. Walmart, it was up in the air, whether or not they – once I, I thought certain stores had pulled it as well, but now Walmart has said that for now that they're going ahead and selling it. But it's become a very interesting, intriguing, but also a possibly even dangerous situation in regards to buying these trading cards at retail. Yeah, so – the stuff going on in the news has been insane. You know, people getting, there's been shootings, there's been people fighting and brawling, there's been Target employees who have gotten hurt over this whole thing. Yeah, when I was a kid, Pokemon cards were popular. People line up outside the store to get them, but nobody ever, like, got violent over it. But here's the big difference between then and now. Back then, it was kids wanting trading cards. Now, it's adults. It's scalpers. And this whole scalping culture is absolutely disgusting. And I think that a lot of these like people who are doing this should be this. I'm going to hot take, but they should be ashamed of themselves because, you know, this is you're taking things that like kids like to have, you know, kids can't have these, these things. Now, these things that were made for kids and they're a game for kids. Kids can't have them because you have these adults taking them and selling them for a price that's way marked up on the internet. And it's, and it's, you're talking about the Pokemon cards and the magic of the gathering yeah, cards. Correct? Right. Right. And it's, it's kind of, it's disgusting, you know, and you have tar like you have these adults who want to turn a profit on these, these items that are meant for, well, I mean, I know there's adults that play it too. So it, it's, you know, if you're buying things for the sake of scalping them on eBay, then it's, this is like, this is kind of disgusting behavior because it's almost, you're dehumanizing people over trying to get these cars you have people fighting you have tar you're hurting target and walmart employees like it's got to the point where these stores are scared to have their to sell these items anymore and these are mm -hmm. items that for years was just right there next to the checkout counter there right. would be rows of of different trading cards sports cards novelty cards and they would just be sitting there and you just walk right by them and you know it's for for years people would just ignore them i think Vince said the best, you know, when he was talking about how 
for so many years, people would talk about these throwaway cards from the early 90s and mid 90s, and nobody realized that they might have had something valuable on their hands. And, you know, I know with the sports cards, it's all about trying to collect the rookie cards for the rookie players. So that's what you're basically trying to go ahead and get these cards for, or these card sets for. And that's always been something that, that there's been a certain amount of collectors. Now okay. that the market has risen, there's a lot of more, even more collectors on it. So it's become big business. I get that. And now that's evolving into NFTs and a whole nine yards with that as far as the digital age. But yeah. with, like you said, Magic the Gathering and the, and the Pokemon cards, I mean, I bought Pokemon cards for my daughter. And this was just for fun because she wanted to have them and collect them you know, and just keep them because she's so interested in Pokemon. But it's now becoming, do I have to go next time she wants to go ahead and have me buy some more, me fend off two, three, four people in order to buy just a, a set that she just wants to open up and, and have for fun? Yeah, well, and you had mentioned collectors. It's not, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts where people are talking about this and reading a lot of articles it's not collectors out there waiting for this stuff. It's people scalping it. Like you, you hear stories where someone went well, there. I mean, I, a lot of these collectors are doing the same thing. That's what they're doing. They're reselling, buying, and you know, yeah, a lot of these collectors really now have, have turned into individuals that are going to turn a quick profit as well. I guess if you're civil about it, that's fine. But if you're one of these people who are like causing fights, like it's that's kind of disgusting behavior, you know, especially for someone who isn't going to keep them somebody who is going to make it so a kid who actually wants to play with pokemon or an adult who actually wants to play with pokemon cards has to pay a huge markup because they you know they can't get them just by going to the store anymore like yeah I, and not just the special the specialized ones i know that everybody wants but some of these kids just want common ones just to play with just to they, have just to collect yeah, and because one day the you know all these places will open again, and people start having Magic the Gathering contests and Pokemon contests, and these people won't be able to get these cards anymore because these these people who are you know these scalpers have taken them and made it so they're hard to get. And in doing so, the disgusting thing about it also is that they're driving the value of it up. You know, you can't get them at Target or Walmart anymore. So now you're going to have to go on eBay or Amazon or wherever and buy them from private sellers. And, uh, you know, we have an, an anime store up the street from us and they have Pokemon cards there. Uh, but do they have a security guard right there next to them? No, they don't. They're, it, like we live in a very small town, so we're not like in, in danger of that becoming an issue. But yet, yet. But, you know, and like, again, you've heard my thoughts on scalpers, especially with like gaming consoles, too. Like you ha you're seeing that happen. Like you go on eBay, you have these people. There's nobody ha selling just a single console. You look at all the pictures. It's just someone who bought like 20 of them and they just are sitting in like their harem of PlayStations and Xboxes. And th this is this market. has. There's always been a market for scalping, but it's just gotten so bad thanks to, you know, the pandemic and the YouTubers and people who like are on, you know, this might sound bad, but a lot of people who are working from home or they're in, un in unemployment, whatever their situation is, they have time to go, you know, and wait outside stores when it opens and they're looking to make a little extra cash. So it's just all the circumstances are just right for something like this to happen. And, you know, to Vince's point, when you have these things that are like you're making a limited number of certain things, collectors are going to be looking for them. And Pokemon cards, like I didn't think it would ever happen or I didn't think it's going to happen again. But here we are. 
this is like the 90s all over again, except people are getting incredibly violent about it. But let me ask you this. So how much of this do you think is thanks to streamers? You know, you have people like Post Malone talking about Magic the Gathering and you have whatever Logan, whatever his face is. Uh, Logan opening, Paul. Yeah, opening like a pack of 1990s Pokemon cards online. How much do you think is the pandemic to blame and how much do you think YouTubers are to blame for this? Because we love to blame the pandemic on everything. Uh, right. But I, I know that the streaming and social media aspect of it, I mean, you can go back far as you want on that in regards to social media, how it's developed over the, the previous decade and see the kind of influence it has. I think that has the biggest influence on so many different aspects of our life. And I think the value of these trading cards, whether it's sports cards, Pokemon cards, magic cards, or any other novelty cards, I think that is more to do with the social media aspect and the fact that the internet has created this marketplace where you can buy and sell things so much easier, but you can also have interests in things so much easier. It's not where you back in the 70s or 80s where, oh, I really like Pokemon cards, but if nobody has them in your neck of the woods, you're pretty much out of luck unless you like mail order stuff. Now you can easily, within the span of a few seconds, go on to Amazon or eBay and buy something if you have the money for it. And that just drives up the price more and more. And I think technology and our society have more to do with all these things that are going up in price in regards to the trading cards than necessarily the pandemic is concerned. Because the pandemic, let's say the price rose on all this stuff because of uh, manufacturing issues because of distribution issues that you can blame on the pandemic. Those kind of things are easily, you can relate to that. But when it comes to just the price shooting high on something that is normally out in a normal variety and a normal number that it normally comes out like it was coming out in 2019 and 2018, then that to me spells that it's more a societal or yeah. more of an access issue with the trading card industry. It doesn't sound like it's a scarcity issue. It just sounds like a whole lot more people want it. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like, yeah, I don't directly blame the pandemic, but I think that in the aftermath of the pandemic, you know, and the, the circumstances have been created, everything kind of came together in the proper way for something like this to happen. You know, like people looking to make a little extra money or people have extra time on their hands to, you know, to go out and, and make Target or Walmart employees fear for their lives. You know, it's, it's just such a, a weird time we're living in. I hope that people who are actually like into Pokemon cards, like I hope that they're still able to get them and have fun with them. And if people are out there like scalping them, putting them up on eBay, I hope that we get to the point where like people just don't pay any mind to them. You know, just don't don't buy things from scalpers. You know, as, as bad as you want it, you know, don't buy it, you know, until it's something you can get in like a Pokemon pack or something. What lengths are you willing to go to to get these things? And I think that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. What are your thoughts out there on the controversy with the trading card sales at various retailers like Target, Walmart, and other places? It's becoming to the point where the trading card industry is becoming a very dangerous and even violent prospect to consider when you go ahead and start buying into trading cards. Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, regular sports cards, and novelty cards of that like. So, we want to hear your thoughts on how dangerous the trading card industry is becoming. We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com.
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis wanted to go ahead and touch on some streaming news that came through the wire right around this weekend one is that on their latest disney investors call disney reported that they are now up to 103 million subscribers which again we think would be great and the fact that falcon and winter soldier is such a big hit in fact nielsen says that some of the episodes have reached the top of the streaming market and WandaVision is still coming off that as far as the success there. But analysts and Wall Street had projected the growth of Disney Plus to be at 109 million. And 6 million is quite a difference as far as what was projected and what actually is. So I want to ask you, Disney Plus has seen a extremely high growth in its first year plus of existence. It now seems to be slowing down. Is this a problem for Disney? So that's a great question, actually. Ever since Falcon and Winter Soldier, like I have not really gone back to Disney Plus for anything. So I'm sure when Mandalorian comes back on that, those subscription numbers will probably go back up or whatever Marvel. The Bad Batch is not bringing anybody in. Yeah, I have heard. I heard that the Bad Batch was not actually that great. So I'm you know just reading the reviews on it, it's like the first episode I think was people good. are waiting for loki yeah so i mean i guess it's just the they need the right things to bring them in i think what really kills them like i will always keep my hbo max subscription open because when a new movie comes out i don't have to pay extra to watch it you know at disney i think what really slows them down or kind of ruins momentum for them is the fact that a new movie comes out you have to pay 30 dollars to watch it you know, and I think that that's why like Soul didn't do that great, and Raya the Last Dragon didn't do that. Well, great. Soul actually did really good on Disney Plus. Did was it part of Premier Access or was it? No, it was oh, free, okay. and right. it did huge numbers over the oh, holiday so, season and January for them. Raya is a different story, but yeah, so uh, compare and contrast the two, though, like doesn't that make sense? You know, like you put this movie out and people can actually watch it versus paying thirty dollars to watch it. But then again, the concept of saving money like you talked about before where you spend over you know upwards of and even beyond a hundred bucks to go to the movies and you're getting it at a discounted rate thirty dollars for you and the entire family to sit down that doesn't seem to be a bad trade-off and a lot of people i think on the first time around with mulan there's a reason why disney's still doing it and mulan there must have been a a great deal of success with it with this thirty dollar premiere access for them to continue this on certain films like the Jungle Cruise, that's going to have it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Shang-Chi and also Free Guy, those movies are just going straight with a 45-day window in the theaters before they hit Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's kind of interesting or cool, I guess. Uh, okay, so, you know, I think it all, like, depends on... If, there's just so many outside circumstances that kind of predict how this is going to go down. Like, for right right now, 
you know, Raya and the Last Dragon came out before people had extra money or, you know, from their, uh, what, what are you, the, the COVID relief checks, right? So people were like spending more money after those checks came in. Right this is the, here in the States. This is here in the States. Yeah. So I, I guess it all like, and there's a lot of people who still aren't working, you know, so their money is, is a little more scarce for some people and, or harder to come by. So you, you have people, I think they've, as people are not working they've become a little bit more like conscious of how much they're spending so i think that like a movie like raya and the last dragon like oh hey i mean i could pay 30 dollars to watch this even if it would save me money from going to the movie theaters but i could also wait you know 45 days to watch it for free so you know i think that when black widow comes out i don't think it'll suffer from that problem just because it's such a high, high profile film but you know i guess it just depends on the time and the the circumstances of the people there but you know that's a, again like HBO Max has no circumstances, right? You pay this twelve dollars a month and you get access to everything. Disney Plus, there's they're, I guess they're kind of like gambling on the fact that people will want to pay extra money to watch some of these things in a time where people aren't really like spending a lot of extra money. But HBO Max is going to be concerned because next year when they're not doing the day and date for their movies, that's going to be a concern because you've weaned all these people like yourself on the, okay, it's going to be a movie release day and date in the theaters and HBO max. I'm really excited for that. Whereas next year you have to wait for the theatrical window to go ahead and subside before you'll see it on HBO max. So be prepared for that come yeah. 2022. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm fascinated. I know we talk about this a lot, but I'm just so fascinated by I guess the psychology behind all this and yeah. yeah, I am really excited to see like when HBO their when their contracts with, you know, legendary and all these other filmmakers expire come 2023, like what's going to happen. Well, I'm concerned for Disney plus because WandaVision and Falcon and winter soldier were both highly sought after material and they were heavily publicized as far as for advertisements and they still weren't enough to have Disney Plus meet investors' expectations on what the subscriber count should be. So I think Disney should be concerned. I know Loki is something we're interested in, but I'm not sure if it's going to bring in new viewers. I think it's going to be a situation where you know, you're going to have to have a lot of high-profile pro stuff come in and out on an each and every week basis before you get people to go ahead and mass numbers go ahead and subscribe or become new subscribers to Disney plus. So that's something I think Disney should be concerned about. I know the theme park business is going once again for them in limited fashion. So I think that's something brighter for them as a whole for a company, but I do think that they need to be concerned about what's going on with Disney plus. Well, and again, you like the nature of these streaming services is the fact that people are dropping in and out of them. People do that with yeah. Netflix, they do that with Hulu, they do that with HBO Max, they do that with Disney Plus, I'm sure. So for Disney Plus, is I think what they need to focus on is like how can we retain people instead of having them come in and out? Because how many of those new subscribers are people who have canceled before and now are re-upping? they don't really talk about that a lot. So the yeah. number could possibly be a lot lower than what they're saying it is. So this is just the nature of the beast, you know, and it's, it's going to be as people start going back out into public and going to the movie theaters, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens to all these numbers for all these streaming services. 
Should Disney Plus be concerned about its current subscriber base? And what do you see for the growth of that streaming platform? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, you mentioned HBO Max, and we both did during that conversation. But before we head on out, my friend, real quick, there are heavy rumors, and these are on respected sites like CNN and Deadline and, and a lot of other places that are talking about a possible merger that's being talked about over this past weekend that might be announced as early as Monday when you hear this about the Discovery network of shows, channels, et cetera, et cetera, possibly merging with Warner AT&T, which Warner has everything from TNT to HBO and that entire family, which would include HBO Max. So maybe that would include, if they merged, the libraries of Discovery Plus with their all their stuff that they do, I think with the food and all the stuff they do with the Discovery and the home improvement and all that, and then you have also as well everything from HBO Max. If this happens and that becomes one, what will that do to the streaming marketplace before we head on out? That with so many streaming outlets out there, like you're creating more of a possibility for a monopoly. And at what point does the Federal Trade Commission get involved in something like this? When Disney purchased Marvel and then they purchased Lucasfilm, I know, and then Fox, like I know that they were very on the fence about all that. So yeah, they had to sell off their sports networks. Mm -hmm. So at what point does the uh, Federal Trade Commission get involved here? And then we start seeing this whole streaming industry become more regulated. And I just don't see good things should that happen. But as a streaming entity, if Discovery and HBO Max were to combine a possibility of that, what would be your thoughts? It would be interesting. I mean, would the existing services be merged into one? Would people get charged more? Would they get charged less? Like, how would that oh, it's play Always out? more, man. Always more. Always more, yeah. I mean, on the bright side, it would create one less, like, service that people have to subscribe to. You know, if you have, you can go from having eight to having seven streaming services. So, I don't know. It's just, I guess it all depends on what it offers and what lengths people are going to be willing to go to to have it. What are your thoughts out there on a possible, as we're recording right now, it's a possible merger between Warner AT&T, which owns HBO, HBO Max, TNT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with the Discovery Network, which includes Discovery and all of its other subsidiary networks. If they combine together and a streaming outlet with all those combined forces came together, would that be the most watched streaming outlet for you please share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com well my friend it's been a great episode again thank you so much for joining me as always and appreciate everybody watching and listening to us right here at the pop culture cosmos but before we head on out my friend some star wars fan service came by the youtube recently as the series bucketheads got started i flipped that to you because it actually just showed up on my youtube suggestions and i Thought I'd check it out. And for me, Star Wars fan projects over the years have been very hit or very miss. I thought, oh, this is pretty good. They put a lot of money into it. And then you look at others and, and they're like, ah, they at least was a nice try. It was a nice effort. And that's a devotion to the series. I want to hear your thoughts. If you got a chance to see Bucketheads, the series, episode one that just came out, if you think that stands up, because to me, I think if Disney Plus took a look at it, they could actually use that and develop it into something that people would want to watch. 
Yeah, so I I watched it and I gotta say like the cinematography is beautiful. Like the color palettes they use, the dark color palettes are really cool. It's reminiscent of what Gareth Edwards did yeah. in Rogue One. Like I thought that that was really cool. Uh, um, and also Return of the Jedi because it has a lot of action going on in indoor. Mm-hmm. And you gotta appreciate like the I guess the rotoscoping that was done in that, making the lasers fly through and superimposing things in the background, having things move, the droids and all that. Like that was really cool. This had to have had a, a pretty big budget, you know, and yeah. it, it has a soundtrack, it has special effects, it has different voice acting. Like, they probably went to some great lengths to make something like this. So my thoughts about maybe Disney taking a look, do you think that they'd be welcoming to something like that? Because I know Warner Brothers has repeatedly shut down Harry Potter fan projects. Do you think that Disney would, like, pull a Nintendo and say, like, hey stop doing this or we're literally going to sue you until you have nothing left. I don't know how they can, my friend, because it specifically states that this is not for profit, but they had conveniently have a Patreon you can support. Mm-hmm. I will say that I don't know how they can really stop it on that pretext because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of Star Wars fan projects that have popped up on YouTube over the past decade, which you know that they're making money on just by the fact you're watching it on YouTube as well. So for me, I think that instead of not embracing it, I think Disney Plus talk to the people who are responsible and get them involved in making more content because that's something you and I have talked about Disney Plus. You mentioned yourself, since Falcon and Winter Soldier, you've dropped Disney Plus like a bad habit. Guess what? Same here. Since Falcon and Winter Soldier, I've dropped Disney Plus like a bad habit. I've not been really catching up with the Bad Batch outside of episode one. I need to catch up with that, but I I know they're up to episode five, so I'm going to have to binge it at some point, but I might wait until June before doing so when Loki's around. So for me, it, it's something that they need constant influx of content at Disney+, Plus, like Netflix. Netflix throws out stuff, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. They're just going to throw yeah. stuff at you. I think Disney+, Plus needs to look at this and say, you know what, if they're able on the budgets that they can go ahead and make these and we just throw a little bit of cash their way, they can really make something pretty decent to watch that people would enjoy. And I really think that they should go ahead and embrace these Star Wars fan projects, at least the best of them, and promote it on their own channel. Yeah, and I mean, that's a cool thing, too, is the fact that like, if Disney were to do something like that, they could have minimal involvement and have a product turned out in less than the time it probably takes to make an episode of The Mandalorian. Because... With all these studio projects, you know, you have all the voices involved. Everyone has to agree or disagree on what the movie is. With this, there's just some rad people who got together and made something. You know, like there's no corporate red tape to go through. Josh, I'm waiting for your Star Wars fan project. I'm waiting to go ahead and be a part of that. I got to be inspired again. So as soon as Star Wars shows me something that I can get behind again, maybe we'll talk about it. It certainly wasn't The Last Skywalker, that's for sure. Are you telling me? What, what movie was that? Exactly. What for you is the best Star Wars fan project you have ever seen? We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you've seen Bucketheads, which is now available on YouTube, what is the best Star Wars fan project? Is it Bucketheads? Is it something else? Please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. My friend, it's been a great episode talking Resident Evil, Mass Effect, Star Wars. We're talking streaming. We're talking trading card controversy. Any last thoughts 
on the way out. If you've been involved in these situations lately with the trading cards, like I would honestly love to hear a story. I want to get it straight from the source. You know, if you've been waiting outside Target and you saw someone throw a shopping cart at a Target employee, like I want to know about it. So uh, send us an email, tell us your stories, and I need to understand the madness a little better. So popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. There you go. He wants to hear all the little gossip that's going on. But please, if you're out there in the trading card world and you're going into this full blast, please be safe. Please be careful. And please let us know your thoughts on this anytime right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping... You have yourself a great day. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hey everyone, this is George Tripsis, co-host from the Metal Geeks podcast, along with Carrie, the Metal Geek, and Brutal Dave. Our show is where we bring the Metal Geek culture and heavy metal culture and mash it into the geek culture. Come listen to our show where we talk about movies, comic books, Disney stuff, and mostly about movies where I'm always right and Carrie's never right. Check us out at metalgeeks.net and catch us on all your ear hole listening podcast devices. I'm Carrie, the Metal Geek, and I approve this message. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.